Welcome to episode 41 and a half of MADE, a podcast about purpose-driven design, making, and manufacturing. Today we're going to play the second day of interviews from World Maker Fair 2017. Let's continue the conversation. Hi guys, uh, Jose here. Sorry my voice is a little rough from uh, World Maker Fair, but I just wanted to uh, chime in real quick before I start playing the interviews uh, from day two of our trip to World Maker Fair. I want to thank everybody that came by the booth, everybody that stopped by for an interview, and everybody we met. We had a great time like always. So please, if you have never been to a World Maker Fair or a Maker Fair, uh, attend the one closest to you. Uh, without further ado, here are the interviews we did. Alright, so I'm here with Vladimir, and you're with Desktop Makes. So tell us a little bit about what Desktop Makes is all about. So Desktop Makes is a, uh, a place to go to for online learning um, for designing, specifically for 3D printing. Uh, right now it's focused on 3D printing, but uh, the, you know, the intention is just to be basically desktop fabrication machines. Um, so anything that you could make on a desktop, you would go here as a resource to, to learn. So you're looking to eventually expand to laser cutting, and maybe even uh, water jet now that there's water jets Right, well. yeah. yes, just saw the Wazer yeah, uh, over here, which yeah. looks pretty cool. But yeah, basically it would be, uh, you know, uh, desktop CNC's, lasers. Uh, how many how many courses do you guys currently have? So it's four courses right now, uh, specifically on uh, designing for 3D printing, and they all use uh, Fusion 360. And there's a beginner course that's meant to take you uh, through, you know, just from installing the software and drawing your first sketches. Um, and it approaches it in a way where uh, it's very practical. So, uh, you know, I, I do the um, the teaching and I start you off with a pair of tweezers basically showing you how to make that and then we move on to other stuff like a vacuum nozzle and it's to kind of get away from the sense that 3D printing is meant to be just like trinkets there are actual like real you know valuable uses real and products it, that exactly. you can get out yeah. of it yeah. yeah okay cool and you jumped you said you use Fusion 360 so you jump straight into Fusion 360 with people yes I do and that's the way I like to teach I've gone through a lot of uh, other courses online, CAD courses, and I, I find it excruciating when they spend a lot of time just sort of going over the menu and then talking about what each tool does. Uh, my approach is to let's just start using it because that's the best way you're going to remember. Yeah, yeah. That's how you learn yeah. to swim, right? You go right into exactly. the deep end. Yeah, yeah so yeah, I start right away. We're creating something and here are the tools we're going to use and each lesson builds on that. And it's, it's, uh, four, it's four classes, four courses. Yeah, there's four different courses. I have one that you're going to want to start with if you're a beginner. It's the introductory courses and then a few intermediate courses uh, to take you. Um, one of the, the popular courses is uh, after the, the beginner courses. Uh, I did a full course on designing fidget spinners, uh, which turned out to be an actual valuable resource for teaching 3D design because there's a lot of things you're using there like symmetry and creating patterns. Um, and also because they're, they're relatively small, so they print pretty quick. So most, you know, you can make a spinner and print it out in half hour to 45 minutes exactly. and you're good to go. Nice. Now, 
do you do just the modeling or do you also get into this is how you set up the printer because I mean, that could get complicated there's so many printers out there as well right how much do you get into the actual printing part of it or is it just the modeling well, so specifically my course is titled designing uh, for 3d printing mm -hmm. Uh, because I do cover a lot of the, when you're designing, for example, how you have to be careful of the, you know, overhangs, the, 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 overhangs, the angles, um, knowing your nozzle size and how that can affect your design. And yeah, and then I go in through how you want to export that into a slicer, and you want to make sure to set that up so your Z is up, you know, exactly. so you don't have to get into a slicer and rotate it. So there's a lot of little tips that you have to cover. The intricacies of it, yeah. Right. Um, you know, so I do go into a bit. You know when you're printing and uh, you know setting it up and in fill shells. Yeah, so while you can't necessarily account for every printer out there, you give enough information that people can, based on their printer, do it themselves that way, yeah. Right, yeah, because honestly, once you know how to use one slicer, you, know you can use them, use them all. Yeah, exactly. It's just the same information, yeah, you know. Yeah, very cool, cool. So, uh, tell us, what's the, what's the website's uh, name? What, how, what are people looking for? It's desktopmakes.com. That'll take you right to the website. Uh, you can also find me on YouTube. Uh, it's just search desktop makes where uh, weekly I try to throw a new project in there to show some, uh, you know, a little snippet of, you know, sometimes it's just stuff I, I, like I find interesting, yeah. you know, like, oh, you know, I just uh, uh, did this one project and it's really cool. Check it out, you know, and I'll throw it up on YouTube. Nice. Uh, cool. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us and telling us about your, your, uh, your website. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Alright, so I'm here with Mike. Yes, Mike Carroll. Mike Carroll. And you've written a series, or you write, you've written one book, but you're hoping to make this a series of books. Yes. And the first book is called Gone Dog Gone? Yes, it is. We just had some uh, trouble remembering the title, but yes, that is the, uh, the title. And I'm a third grade teacher myself. I live in uh, an Abington area, which is a little bit north of Philadelphia. And I try and find ways to get kids around that age, that would be kind of the, the lower end of that age group, into making and uh, so it's a fun book it has full of fart jokes and everything that uh, <laughs> everything gets like exactly that exactly yeah. and uh, trying to entertain them but also pique their interest in making and there's a lot of really cool projects that play pivotal roles in the plot of the story that a kid can read hopefully fall in love with and then make a lot of them out of junk uh, lying around their house which makes it a little easier for them to yeah very cool so you were you were giving this sort of a comparison it's like a MacGyver for kids kind of thing Exactly. I was a big, uh, big MacGyver fan growing up. I remember crying at a few episodes, and uh, and yeah, and I, you know, even though there's literally MacGyver as a as a reboot right now, there's really not a show that uh, inspires on that level or has that ethos that you see um, as as what I had growing up. So my goal is for my book to be something similar to that, and the kind of book that your average kid who might not even know what the word maker means. Uh, picks up off the bookshelf, reads, laughs, is into it, finishes it, and then goes, wait, there's 60 pages of gadgets here? This is cool. Oh, you only need a coat hanger for this? I have two of those and clothespins and so on. So. Well, it's an interesting way because, you know, we're sitting here and a lot of kids come up to it and they see things, but they don't necessarily understand exactly what's even going on. How do we make it? How do we go? But this is a way of sort of bringing them through a story and teaching them that way. So, yeah. It's, it's, it has to be intimidating for somebody who's maybe like early middle school with not a lot of science background that comes here and sees you know, some of these 3D printers and so on and 
and they're like, well, how does that work? Oh, you need this, this, and this. Well, I don't have any of those things to even let myself get a 3D printer, or I don't know how to design. Yeah. Um, so every project in the book, I really look at taking down as many barriers as possible so the kids can go, oh, I can do that. And then that's the first step, and then once they realize that they can make a lie detector out of just five components, uh, then, you know, that might lead to making their own theremin or, like, another project and yeah. hopefully build to something where they're they're presenting at a maker fair. Very cool. And uh, let, so you're a teacher, so what's your background in, like, what, what subject do you teach necessarily? So I'm third grade, so I teach uh, so everything. General, I yeah. everything. So that's um, how you're able to come up with some of these gadgets, because you sort of have a wide knowledge base. Yeah, yeah. I, I thank you for saying that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that is that is it. And it's what's nice is it's... Another issue that a lot of teachers, and I don't know if this is really just elementary school or um, or teachers everywhere, is you know curriculum departments have to they approve curriculum, so you really can't say hey this is a cool thing I just saw on Sunday at Maker Fair I want to do it on Monday. Right. A lot and understandably so I'm not complaining have a process that you have to go to to allow things in the classroom. But that process doesn't exist for books on a bookshelf. Exactly. And that is one of my goals is uh, is kind of circumventing uh, a classroom that might be a little more locked down with here's a fun book on the bookshelf you can read. You go to my website, uh, www.deweymac.com. All the gadgets are there. So if it's something that a librarian shares at library, you can go home and make everything. You don't need to have the physical copy of the book with you. Oh, that's very cool. So they can actually look at the project after they've read the book and they see it. Do you have like a chat, like a video that even shows them how to put it together, or is it animated? How, how that's something I'm uh, I'm working on. Maybe about a third of the gadgets have videos. Nice. I try and make those similar to the book. Uh, you know, stylized, fast moving, funny. Um, so I probably get too fickle about them, and, and because of that, make them very slowly. Now, so tell us about, so Dewey Mac, is he based on anybody in particular? Is he based on you? Is he based on... He's, I would say he's based on me. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, I was, I was the type of kid, uh, I had parents that didn't mind if I went in the workshop, uh -huh. and I survived with two eyes and ten fingers, <laughs> luckily, nice. but there were a few close calls in there, and, uh, and I was able to tinker, and, uh, and as I went to school to become an educator, I realized how valuable that time was, that... You know, when it came to simple things like measuring, I knew what a quarter inch was. When a lot of people are like quarter inch, you know, they, 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 get, they and get I'm not right. right. I'm not knocking them because they just don't use it regularly. So I really wanted to try and find a way for uh, for kids to have applications for a lot of that stuff that really only exists on a paper or on a test um, at that elementary age. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming and telling us about yeah. this. The, what what is the next book? What, so what, what is what is the next book coming and when it's when, coming, when, I don't know. It's, when, uh, it's something it I'm writing. It, uh, it revolves around elves impersonators. Oh. So I'm <laughs> nice. doing my uh, research right now and going to see as many uh, elves impersonator shows as possible. <laughs> and I have maybe about a third of it finished, all most of it mapped out, and, uh, and you know. It's, Tell us a little bit about the process. How long did the first one take you to sort of put together and, and write and you know, edit and put out there? Well, that's a great question, because it took me a fair amount of time. I uh, I was not the type of person that took creative writing classes in high school or college, um, so that, that was like a new venture for me, something exciting, but brand new. Um, so beginning to end, I would say four or five years. Wow. It, um, it's something I, I wrote, and then rewrote, and then rewrote, and then joined writing groups, and for about three years, really worked on the writing of it. 
and then came to Maker Faire and launched a Kickstarter. It became funded, and then about a year or so of editing uh, at a professional level and printing, and then uh, and then it came out about a little over a year ago. Oh, okay, wow, nice. And uh, I, I like it because you know we cover a lot of Kickstarter here, but we cover a lot of Kickstarters that are more on the tech side. But a lot of people forget, you know, that there's the the literature and the art part of Kickstarter as well. So mm -hmm. I, I like to hear that. Yeah. Yeah, and there's you know there's a big education side. Like a lot of those people that are involved in those tech. Kickstarters. A lot of them have kids, yeah. and they want their kids to uh, follow suit. But you know, as, as I'm a parent of a three-year-old, you really can't force your child to like what you're into. You just kind of have to put it near them, and you know, occasionally talk how awesome it is, and find new ways to keep it near them. And uh, and you know, I'd like to think my book is that. And, and there are a lot of other great Kickstarter projects that are similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, very cool. So, so when do we expect the next book? Uh, how long do you think? Uh, when? I don't know. I mean, uh, it's I'm writing it, then there's editing, and uh, and I'm hoping to go with a larger publisher if there's any uh, publishers or agents out there listening. So uh, so we'll see. You know, maybe two years, maybe a year, uh, hopefully sooner than later. Well, and hopefully it can grow to a point where, you know, maybe an animated series or something, because this is an important thing for kids, you know, and uh, I... Hey, you have our support, you know, anything you need. I appreciate you. you stopping by here during the Maker Fair and talking to us about it. Yeah, so. thank you, Jose, for having me. I appreciate the support. And, uh, and yeah, I'm excited about kids making. So any uh, anybody in that avenue, please visit the website, DeweyMac.com, and send me an email because I'd love to see yeah. what you're doing. Yeah, and I'm going to put some links to that also in the description here, and we'll okay. tweet it out as well. So, yeah. Excellent. All right, Jose. Thanks so much, Mike. Yeah, thanks for having me on. here with Andrew. Uh, how, do you spell, how do you pronounce your name? Chapatis? Yes, Chapatis. And uh, you have a very interesting project here. And I would love for you to tell us about it. It's called so, Elia? Yes. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about Elia. Tell us what you're trying to accomplish with it. Sure. Well, so our company develops assistive products for people who are blind or have a visual impairment. Yeah. And really the foundation for what we're working on is a new alphabet for the blind. Yeah. And Often people ask me, well, why, why, would, why do we need another alphabet? Why do we need another alphabet? What's wrong with Braille? And Braille's outstanding for people who can read it. But 99% of people who have a visual impairment are unable to read Braille. There are about 8.4 million people in the U.S. who have a visual impairment. There are only about 59,000 people that read Braille. Is it, is it because it's not necessarily intuitive? Is that why? Yeah, well, so that's exactly the reason. The reason that people can't learn it, one of the reasons, a main reason is, is that they're previously sighted. Most people have vision and then lose their vision. Right. And so ha half of people who have a visual impairment are over the age of 65, 75% are over the age of 45, 95% of them over the age of 21. Yeah. And so it's difficult to learn a new alphabet at that time. And the other challenge is, is that People people lose tactile acuity, their sense of touch over time older, as right? well. Yeah. 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 Okay. So what you're showing here, and it's from you thinking because I'm looking at them. They it's funny because they don't necessarily all look like the letter. Yeah. But once you start thinking about it, they kind of do. And and I tried it earlier when you you had the chart, and I could feel it. And like yeah, I get it. That is an A. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what what is it that is, makes it in, more intuitive in this case? Sure. So the letters, if you look at them, they're, they're, you can find the letters if you know how to find if you know how to find them. Right. What, what we've done is we've used the major characteristic of the letter and we enclosed it in a frame 
And the frame has three benefits. The frame tells you where that letter begins and ends. And for a previously sighted person, that's enormously challenging with Braille. The other, the other one other benefit, another benefit is that you can systematically explore each letter because of the frame. So you go around the outside and then in, and you're 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 always you always know where you are and you can't get lost and you know where the information is, and that's challenge and that would be that's in in, in contrast to the regular raised Roman alphabet. If you were to just raise the regular Roman alphabet, people, you would have to you would have to navigate each letter with a unique finger movement, and you wouldn't know where you are in that letter necessarily, because reading tactilely is reading one point at a time. When you read visually, you see like the whole letter M or uh, W or whatever. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Now, and it's the alphabet is also numbers. Um, yeah. I, don't know how, I don't know how Braille handles numbers. But looking at it, like it, they all sort of seem to make sense as well as I see them here. Um, what what is the difference when it comes to numbers within Braille and the system you're coming up with here? Sure. So with Braille, Braille is a, is a matrix of dots, and they use a different denotation of the six dot matrix. With six dots, you can make 63 different combinations, and so they have a little dot that means that what comes next is a number. And so they use the letter. They use the the symbol for the number. For the, I believe they use the symbol for the uh, A as a as a one. So they'd have a certain frame, a certain matrix of dots that says what's coming next is a number, and then you'd have the letter A, which would say it's a one. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And, and you know what I like about your system even is that if you were to learn this, you would be able to not only would a, a person without sight be able to read, but yeah somebody with sight would be able to read what that person is, is also reading, right? Yeah, exactly. So, because it's, it's built, because it's uh, designed around the standard alphabet and it's really just customized for touch, all the elements of the regular letters are in there. So, a sighted person who's a family member of a visually impaired person, for example, could read it. So, if a child lost their vision, the parents and the, and the siblings could read it. A class, a whole class could read it on really day one. Right. Or, if, or if your grandmother or grandfather could lost their vision, the young, the, your, the grandkids could learn it and then help them around the house. Oh, now let yeah. me ask you. So you had a chart earlier that we we could feel. Is there a place where people can get that chart and try it out for themselves? How does how does how does this how does this working? Because it's on the business card, but sure. the business card is sort of it, it's not it's not set feel. You can't feel it. But, right, yeah. right, right. So on our if you go to our website, you could order say a bookmark from us that's tactile. And then we and then we'd mail that to you, and you could kind of check it out. That's a really inexpensive way to uh, to explore it. You could go on if you if you have site, you could go onto our website, and then there's a there's a game that you could play. We'll have other games up there, um, and and yeah. So uh, we're we're coming out with soon is a new a printer where a person can print this alphabet, and it's ba the technology is based on. Uh, inkjet printing. So anything you could print with an inkjet printer, you could now print with this. You could print Braille on the printer. You could print. Uh, you could print, uh, you know, a graphic out of Amoeba or. Is it a, is it a thicker ink that it's using in order to be able to feel it, or does yeah. it almost feel like it would be doing a 3D print, almost slightly raised letter? Right. Yeah. Uh, so it's very similar to. It's, so it, there's a chemical process. There, there, okay. there are material. There's some material science in there. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. I, I could almost. It's 
funny. I think you guys should come up with a, a, a keyboard like this because, you know, it, you could actually, I, again, I've not seen many keyboards oh, yeah. for totally. people without sight, but like this could almost be a standard keyboard that just has the symbol in it as well. That's that a great idea. Use, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally, Jose. Yeah. It, 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 like the more you think about this, the more layers you find where it makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's quite amazing. I'm actually surprised nobody thought of it before. Has did you, where'd you guys get this idea? Well, my grandmother lost her vision due to macular degeneration wow. when I was, and, and yeah, and she it was it was tragic for her because she loved to read. She lived alone and she valued her independence. And then she tried to learn Braille because that helps people to remain literate and, and independent for those people who can. And she couldn't. She could finish a New York Times crossword puzzle, and she tried to do that like every day. But I something something I can't do. Yeah. But and so we knew it wasn't her that was the challenge. Yeah. And it turns out that you have to be exceptional if you're previously sighted Dude, trying to learn Braille. You have to be exceptional in three ways to learn Braille. You have to have you have to have exceptional tactile acuity, exceptional uh, uh, co you know intelligence, and then you have to be exceptionally motivated because it could take you. 10 months to a year to learn Braille. Yeah. Uh, the Hadley, yeah, like the Hadley I, School for the yeah. Blind has a 10 month course. Right, and at the, end of, at, the end of the, at the end of your life, you may not even have that patience anymore. You might be right. like, yeah, you know, I, yeah. wow, that's amazing. And you know, it's one of the things that's also, I feel like, I don't know, we'd like to talk about equity when we talk on the show as well, but I feel like this is also makes it available for people of lower means as well. Yeah. Because sure. Braille has got to be very difficult to produce for some people, but this seems so much easier. Exactly, yeah, right. yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much for sharing this with us. I, I love it. People should check it out. It's, uh, the name of the website is, uh, if you would say it for us. Sure, the Elia Idea. Uh, the and then E-L-I-A and then the word idea. Dot com. Dot com. Nice. All right, yeah. Thank you, Andrew, so much thank for sharing this with us. Thank you, well, Jose. Uh, you know, this podcast is going to go out and uh, hopefully a lot of people reach out to you guys about this and we're going to keep promoting it because it's a great idea and, and a great cause. Thank you. Well, it's a thrill to be on your show and I look forward to talking with you again. Thank you so much. Sure thing. Pleasure. This is Ray. I'm here with Dave from MakerPipe, and uh, I gotta say, Dave, I you came over to the booth. You showed me your your product. I had to go over to see what you had to offer, and I gotta say, it's a beautiful concept. I'm very impressed with it. And I see a lot of potential. Why don't you tell our listeners what you what you're offering? Right, MakerPipe is a connector system for use with electrical conduit. Electrical conduit you can find at any hardware store. It's really inexpensive, like dirt cheap, three or four dollars for a ten foot length. Um, pretty strong and easy to work with. So we make a, a set of steel connectors that allow you to build what you love with ordinary electrical conduit. Yeah, and uh, you know it was interesting when I went over to your booth and I saw that you actually did a construction in your booth uh, that you tell me you did just as you arrived here at Makerford. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, well, we're from South Carolina, so we drove up and all we had room for was the connectors. We didn't have room for the pipe. So we just got up here, went to Home Depot, bought a bunch of conduit and, and plywood and started building on Friday. So we went from empty booth to full-on display booth in about a day. Yeah, and it looks beautiful. Well, thank you. Um, and what I like about that story is that you didn't have to drag 10-foot sections of conduit. Uh, how long? A thousand miles? How? Yeah, yeah, about a thousand about miles. About a thousand miles. So that was a little bit nice because I can imagine having that, you'd probably have to run it right down your the middle of your car. <laughs> Not very comfortable. Yeah, we've got a Ford Focus and it doesn't fit very well in that. <laughs>
that would have been a very uncomfortable ride. Right, yeah. So the it, it seems like your system lended itself well to an improvised construction on site. Sure, yeah. It's easy to adapt. You build something and you want to change it or improve it. It's very easy to put together and then change. There's really only one bolt for each connector and you don't have to drill the pipes. It's just clamp it down and, and create a structure. Yeah, and one of the things I noticed that you didn't mention when you came uh, here to my booth, but I saw when I went to your booth, is that you've got, you offer also colored sleeves so you can cover the conduit itself. You're not required to stare at metal conduit. Right, yeah. some people really like the industrial look of metal conduit, some don't. So you got the option to take uh, heat shrink tubing of different colors and then put it over the pipe. And that allows for different colors, a different texture, you know, a little bit more personality. Yeah. And if you wanted to do a crazy mosaic of color, I guess that's an option too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Anything's possible. You can paint with it. Yeah, almost. sure. So I know that you've got a few projects that you've outlined in your booth, uh, some pilot projects. Mm -hmm. Did you get any interesting feedback from your pilot um, Experimenters. Yeah, we, we ran a Kickstarter about a year ago, and uh, since people have been getting the product, they've been making all kinds of things. Really interesting ideas. Everything from a, get, a gravity go-kart to uh, a harp, a digital harp, I mean, just all kinds of things. And that's really great to see, just different ideas. And we had pictures in our booth, and we also had a couple build examples. Yes, now I got a question for you. You've, you've been doing this for over a year now. Is there any one project that really stands out to you that you think, like, wow, I never thought that anybody could do that with my, my innovation? I'm constantly surprised. I mean, there's been a few. I think the, uh, the middle schoolers in New Jersey outfitting their whole classroom with Maker Pipe was just phenomenal, right? Uh, we helped them build a little bit, but it was just uh, middle school age, girls, boys, and they built their whole classroom around a maker pipe, and that really was a special thing for us. Yeah, uh, and if anybody knows the cost of furniture, uh, I'm sure that was quite an economical way to do that yeah. uh, in the classroom. Right. And of course, uh, I like the example you, that you uh, set forth about the school, because we all know that budgets in our education systems are being squeezed every day, and finding a, an easy solution for an expensive problem. Uh, I like that your product was able to do that. Now, uh, I will tell you what product or what project I saw that got my attention was the go kart. Yeah. I'm like, that is a mechanical piece, so it's moving, right? And, it, and uh, I wish I could see video on it because uh, the idea of being able to use a simple connector, because the connector is beautifully simple in its presentation, but uh, but elegant things have a tendency to look that way even though they're complicated to manufacture. So for him to take that, bend some conduit up and make a, a moving mechanical object, I think was quite impressive. Yeah, it was great. Uh, this was a father and son team from Chicago. They backed our Kickstarter, got this kit and just blew us away with what they created. It was, it was awesome. Have there been any other mechanical uh, objects or machines made from your, that you are aware of that made from your Maker pipe? Well, we had um, one couple do a camera slider where they, you know, they incorporated motion into the device. Um, we've had people do actually a strand beast 
standings. Oh, really? Have you, have you heard uh, of this? Theo Jensen, of course. Exactly, right? And that was amazing because they did all the linkage with conduit and maker pipe connectors. Oh, beautiful. Is yeah. that on the website? It, not yet, but uh, we're adding different builds as we go, uh, and we'll put that up soon, along with the go-kart. Well, now that we mentioned the website, why don't you tell people where they can see your product? Sure, it's makerpipe.com, and then we're on social media under makerpipe as well. Excellent. Well, thank you, Dave. I appreciate you taking the time and interviewing. Um, I personally am looking forward to playing with what you have to offer, and as soon as I've got a great idea, which hopefully will be soon, uh, we can take advantage of that. Now, you also have some new connections coming up soon. That's right. We, we've been working really hard to do a 90-degree a 45 angle and a few others that make it more useful to build with conduit. Great. Well, I am looking forward to seeing that. And you uh, you said what, in mid-November? Right. In mid-November we can expect that? Yep, they'll be available on our website. Good. I think you'll get a call from me right about beginning of December. Okay. All right. Because <laughs> I am Ray. looking forward to playing with these connections and coming up with something interesting. I'm thinking, I'm thinking about it. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. <laughs> nice. We'll see what happens. All right. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Ray. Hi everybody, Ray again here. I am with Saad, who is talking to us with uh, Dremel. They had a very new and exciting offering. I was shocked to see this. I wasn't expecting Dremel to come out with something new. Saad, please tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, no, thanks. Uh, great to be here. Um, we just debuted our uh, launch with the Dremel laser cutter, so uh, very excited to be in this space. In about 2014, um, we had gotten initially into the 3D printing uh, arena. And uh, lately we've kind of seen, hey, where, where are the big new trends at? Where are the users coming to us and what type of products are they asking for? And uh, laser cutters really been at the top of the list. A lot of excitement about, uh, around the industry about it. Um, so for us to be able to get into this, um, we feel like uh, we could really help on, you know, bring a lot of value to it. Uh, from an ease of use reliability standpoint so um, the primary targets that we're going after are education and also professional crafters so for us uh, coming out with a laser cutter it was really important to have something that's very easy, easy to use for schools um, but also very safe so uh, it's funny one of the first laser cutters we had was uh, one that we had bought off eBay and we were always very unsure um, how safe is this thing really uh, do we have to wear special glasses to wear it should we even be in the same room um, and so we really kind of want to take that worry away from uh, customers and be able to have a really good experience uh, and with a laser cutter and the amount of projects you can actually make with a laser cutter is unbelievable so uh, the level of materials you can do woods leathers acrylics um, and so on you can actually glass so it's it's really cool to see um, the amount of designers and Etsiers that have really adopted this machine uh, and uh, so that it's been really cool to kind of see those types of projects really uh, hit home and, and see them in the marketplace. Oh, cool. Now let's get to some of the technical details. Uh, what's the, the machine footprint? Because I saw it, I did not think it was huge, but it's not a little machine either. Uh, I think I would classify it in the medium size range. So what is the footprint and what is the, uh, the cutting area? and the wattage of the laser. Yeah, yeah, so it's a 40 watt CO2 laser. Um, so for, for those of you that are uh, familiar with uh, laser cutting, it's a very powerful laser. It can cut and engrave a variety of different materials. The bed size, it's a 12 by 20 bed size, uh, which is fairly standard uh, for the machines that size. So this is a, a good compact laser 
um, to kind of have on a desktop. But the nice thing about it is you can actually even travel with it to uh, craft shows as well. So it isn't a um, overly large industrial laser. Um, it's something that can be transported, uh, something that be carried. So um, those are the big, uh, I guess, two of the big features. Um, it also has camera integration, uh, very easy to use software, so you can actually uh, take a picture of the, the bed and uh, it'll place that image on the back of your software for ease of alignment. Um, you can also draw on a piece of wood and it'll engrave uh, it as well. Um, so a lot of different features to uh, make it easy easy to use and also, um, you know, very cool and a, a, a nice little wow factor. It's been nice kind of seeing the people come through the booth and be able to interact with the laser. Uh, so that excitement's been very positive. Yeah, it's very exciting, particularly with a, with a brand like Dremel. Uh, I myself have three Dremels that I use all the time. I've got one set up as a, uh, you know, the, the rotary tools, one set up as a drill press, and then two that I keep uh, for handheld uh, work. So, and I've had a Dremel lathe before, I've had a Dremel saw, which awesome. both of those you guys don't make anymore. <laughs> Uh, I don't know, don't know if you know, but they're actually highly desirable now. Yeah. There are a lot of people that are collecting the lathes and collecting the saws. So, uh, getting back to the laser, I am curious. The, the we've seen other lasers here. Uh, a lot of them have ex external chiller units. Is that something that you need for your laser, or is it all internal? That's a that's a really good question. Um, so. Ours is actually, what we do is we have a, uh, a cooling box, so you don't need an external chiller. Um, uh, in the past, that's what we did with our lasers as well, is we actually would have a completely separate um, chiller unit. Uh, with this, we've actually taken both the, uh, the cooling and also the air compressor, and we've integrated into what we call the hex box. And it's a heat exchange box, and that's what actually cools down the laser. Um, so it's not completely encapsulated within the unit, um, there's some trade-offs that we feel like if you put it completely in the unit. So um, we decided to go down the route of having a, uh, a separate unit um, that sits beside it, but still very easy to set up and, and kind of use as well. Okay. What about fume extraction? So fume extraction, we're actually partnered um, with uh, Bofa Filtration. So Bofa is uh, one of the industry leaders in the marketplace. And so um, we'll be one of their distributors, we'll be distributing their unit as well. Um, or users have the choice to uh, buy one directly for them. But fume extractions uh, are very, um, uh, it's a great thing if you want to use the, the laser indoors. So you have two choices. You can either put the, the air duct out of a window, but if you're in a room similar to how we are at work, um, you can uh, connect it to a, a filtration unit and we decided to um, partner we were actually debating initially um, do we actually manufacture a, a filtration unit ourselves or do we actually um, distribute someone's and from a, a laser standpoint um, from a filtration standpoint we felt like Bofa has a really strong reputation in the industry right now. They're experts in, in filtration, so um, we decided to partner with them and, uh, and actually uh, become a distributor of theirs as well. Excellent. Now, uh, in the beginning, you mentioned your concern for safety and any stray laser rays that might be emitting from the machine. I noticed that it appears that your machine actually has like a glass top. Is that right? Right. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, from a uh, visibility standpoint, it's uh, um, what you don't want to do is really look directly at the laser when the lid's open. Um, and the nice thing what we have is we have a lot of different um, safety sensors built in. So when you open up the lid, the laser actually pauses. So 
Uh, um, and then also, the glass top, it has a special protection layer on it, so you can look at it uh, directly through, through the glass and with no damage on your eyes. So those types of things that we took um, a lot of focus on. We also have sensors built in to let you know if the water is not being uh, cooled properly for your laser tube, which if, if you let the laser tube heat up, it can damage the, the yeah. laser tube. Um, and that's a, that's a consumable part that um, people don't want to replace a laser tube. It could cost them a couple hundred dollars. Uh, and then also, um, outside of that, we also have a, uh, a um, air sensor, which is uh, making sure that the air compressor is blowing out any sort of flare-up that might come from uh, engraving or cutting wood. Cool, very nice. Now, this, feel free not to answer this question, but this is, I'm sure, the number one question. What does it cost to get one of these? Has pricing been worked out? Pricing, um, we're we're working out pricing. Uh, right now, we haven't uh, released official pricing yet, okay. um, but we will. Uh, we're going to start taking orders early of next year. Our goal is to be launched by summer of 2018. Oh, excellent. Um, so we'll have uh, pricing coming out in the next uh, two to three months, I would say, but it's being finalized. Uh, so for us, uh, yeah, that's been kind of the hottest question <laughs> of course, uh, uh, today. And and we're working through it. It's something that we just haven't locked down yet, so we didn't feel comfortable uh, communicating it sure. the show today. Just out of curiosity, are we in the Glowforge area or? Yeah, I, I would say we will be competitively priced um, uh, with similar 40 watt laser tubes. Okay, excellent. So that'll be. All right, well, Saad, thank you very much. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. And where can people find out more about Dremel and the laser? Absolutely. Um, you can find more on the uh, Dremel Insider list. So you can find a link on our Facebook page or also go to uh, Dremel.com and you'll see a link to Dremel Insider uh, page and you can sign up there to uh, learn more about the laser cutter and uh, availability, pricing, all of that information will be released there. And one more time, what are you calling the laser? The Dremel the official. Dremel DigiLab laser cutter. Excellent. Thank you again. Great. Thank you so much. All right. So I'm here with Henry, Henry Feldman. How are you doing today? Great. Good. A little Good. hot. <laughs> yeah, it's a little hot. It's the end of the day. We're a little tired. But, uh, but I wanted to speak to you guys because you have a very interesting project that I think it would be great for everybody to listen to. Why don't you tell us a little bit about first the name of the project? So we're, um, my colleague and I are both uh, physicians at Harvard Medical School, and uh, so we came here to talk about medical making, mm -hmm. specifically making for simulation, so for teaching doctors and training and medical students uh, how to do specific procedures. And you guys are, now first of all you have a lot of different machines that you use to do this. I, I saw a Glowforge there, I saw a 3D printer. So yep. tell us a little bit about the machines that you're using as well. So yeah, so we uh, we definitely, I have a Glowforge at home. Um, uh, we have several 3D printers. Both of us have TAS 6s from Lulzbot in our lab. Uh, I have an E3D big box at home. Um, so we actually, we do a lot of 3D printing and then both of us do a lot of casting in silicone from um, from the prints of the, yeah. of the prints themselves. Yeah, so we'll print the mold and then cast silicone okay. in it. Oh wow, okay, very interesting. And uh, what, what do you do with the 3D printers, the, the, 3D, the laser cutter specifically? So the project we were showing here is um, a tool we made to teach a specific cardiac surgery procedure. Huh. Uh, so it's uh, for repairing the mitral valve in the heart. Um, it's a very dangerous procedure and it's very hard to teach wow. because of where it's located in the heart, it's very hard to see when you're doing it. And so we were asked to make a low-cost simulator 
um, specifically low cost so that when you reuse it, so as, as trainees learn to do the surgery, they're gonna make mistakes. And we didn't want it to be expensive so that anybody felt bad about making a mistake. We right. want people to make mistakes and learn. That's how yeah. makers learn, right? Exactly. Good. And so yeah. the same is true how doctors learn. And so the commercial ones we found on the market were $300 every time you use it. Wow. And so the problem is at $300, if you make a mistake, someone's going to yell at you. Exactly. And so we were asked to bring the cost down to 1%. So could I deliver it for $3 <laughs> per procedure? Uh -huh. So we worked really hard, thought a lot about making... Um, the other challenge I gave my student interns was I wanted to be able to assemble it in under 20 minutes. So each simulator had to be buildable in 20 minutes. And that's where the Glowforge really came in, that we could laser cut the frame for this super fast. It was designed to sort of go together really quickly with cyanoacrylate glue. And then we actually laser cut the fabric that goes in there that simulates the heart valves. Yeah. Which was actually a significant engineering ex since the uh, power mesh that we used for the heart valves is actually flammable. So putting a flammable <laughs> thing inside of a laser yeah. cutter, it's also so light that often when Maybe we first started, you turn the laser cutter fire. on and it would just blow it right into uh, the exhaust vent. So having to figure out how to engineer around those problems were great experiences for my high school interns to try and help us figure out. Um, nice. Okay. Now, you, you mentioned you're with hardware. So is this something you're currently using at the medical school there? Yeah, so at our medical center. So I'm at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, which is one of the Harvard teaching hospitals. My colleague and I do a lot of making for our simulation center. So we have a big central simulation center, which has a fake operating room and a fake ICU room. And so our goal is to bring the residents there and have things that they can learn on that feel real. Wow, wow. Now, how long have you been at this already? How many years or months? Yeah, or we've been doing it for a few years. For a few years so my, wow. my colleague, who's a pulmonologist, so he works on lungs, yeah. uh, works a lot on trying to 3D print um, the airways of the lung to tr teach um, his specialties interventional pulmonary. So they're putting cameras down into your lung to diagnose cancer yeah, or yeah. fix problems. Uh -huh. um, it's sort of how to drive the camera. So he, he makes real exact models of the airways so that you can yeah. learn to drive the camera. Yeah, I saw some of those stuff, because at first, when I first saw it, I thought, oh, is that coral? But then as you see it, like, it clearly looks like some of those, some of those tracheas and the, the Right. Yeah. yeah, it does look a lot like coral, but yeah. it's... Uh, now, I, I saw you guys, what was it, you guys that were using the Kinect as well to do some scanning? Is Yeah, so he, he was doing that, so he does some uh, 3D scanning yeah, to produce uh, faces. And the reason he does that, so one of the common problems that he sees is sleep apnea. Mm -hmm. So there's a mask called a CPAP mask, which yeah, has to get fitted to the patient. Yeah. So one of the things he's been working on is doing modeling of the face to get an exact 3D model wow. so that he can computer fit to the face. Nice, wow, so this is all amazing. You guys are really cutting edge stuff for medical training. It's, 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 uh, and part amazing. of it, we've also been trying to bring sort of the maker spirit to yeah. the doctors and the nurses. Mm -hmm. um, it's actually a real challenge because, you know, doctors and nurses have sort of been trained to let industry think about it. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing is with things like 3D printers and Glowforges, you can make a lot of this stuff yeah. yourself. Yeah. And so teaching people to make medical devices on their own, um, you know, you still need someone who has expertise in materials mm -hmm. like... I constantly get told, you know, oh, it's plastic, it's weak. It's like, well, it's nylon, it's actually really strong. Right. Um, you know, or you can't laser cut that. Well, mm -hmm. of course you can laser cut it. Right. And so part of it is, you know, you got to get out of this mindset that someone else is going to do it for you. And 
mean, I think here at Maker Faire, that's like the whole ethic. Is of course, you do it for yourself. So. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. And uh, is there a website people can learn more about what you guys are doing or see some of these um, images or? So videos? our medical center uh, does have a simulation center website. Um, we don't personally have websites. Okay. Um, the challenge for putting up a website for us is that all of our research is sort of owned by the hospital, oh, okay. and yeah. so we have to be very careful exactly, from yeah. the intellectual property roles of the right, hospital right. for just publishing stuff so okay. all right well but uh but if people want to learn a little bit more about in general even what you guys are doing what would uh what would the medical center uh, i mean we're we're offering courses and we oh, hope to publish did. about actually the courses that we've run for our doctors mm -hmm. um we took 15 surgeons last year mm -hmm. and we ran them through an intensive maker course over six months so it was everything from how to design things in CAD and 3D printing and laser cutting to understanding how to write a business plan mm -hmm. for your product. So we actually brought in venture capitalists mm -hmm. to teach them about, you know, this is how you're gonna come pitch your idea to turn it into reality. Because yeah. as you can imagine at Harvard, lots of people have really good ideas. They never mm -hmm. do anything with them because they don't realize that they can. Right. Yeah, well, this is amazing stuff. I, I think people, you come to a lot of maker fairs, you do yeah. every year I would hope. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Last year. So yeah. next year, people should come and stop by your booth. And thank you so much for. Yeah, we won three editors' choice awards. So. Oh, very cool. Nice. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my and, pleasure. Uh, and I hope uh, this takes off even more next year. I, I look forward to seeing what the next thing the next you guys thing, are doing. Yeah. Is. yeah. Thank you so much. All right. Nice meeting you. Nice to meet you. Bye. Hi guys, Jose here again at the end of the show. I just wanted to remind everyone that there's going to be links to everybody's uh, website if they gave one from the interviews and the show notes. Also go back and listen to day one if you haven't heard one uh, day one of the interviews. And uh, that's it. Again, thanks everyone for listening. And we'll be back next week with a topic.